This is the Whatcom Dads podcast. Hello and welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things being a dad. We will discuss and debate parenting topics, share our Whatcom County recommendations for things our kids like, and bring on guests who can help us unpack a particular aspect of being a dad. And to all you moms out there, we know raising kids is a team sport, so please join us on this adventure. I'm Nathan Dwyer. I'm Chris Roselli. And I'm Mark Bagley. This week, we talk about family meetings, share our favorite spots to take our kids biking in Whatcom County, and interview retired elementary school teacher Rick Lingbloom. and I'm in first grade. I am Benjamin, and I am four years old, and I go to preschool. I'm one, I'm two. We got this job because our dad's the host. All right, guys, here we are, episode one. Are you excited? Oh, yeah, this is great. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having us. So I thought we should introduce ourselves for the listeners. So I'll go first. So my name is Nathan, and you met my kids there at the beginning. They're serving as our announcers this week. And I've lived in Bellingham for the past 17 years. And uh, being a dad to me has been really an amazing process as I continue to try and learn, whether it's from reading books or taking classes. And I'm hopeful that I can uh, share some of that knowledge here on the podcast. And I got the idea about it a year ago to do a podcast, but it wasn't until about three months ago that I thought this might be the proper vehicle for it, is doing something as a dad and getting to involve some of my friends who are dads. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, my name's Chris Roselli. Um, Thanks again for having me uh, on here with you, Nathan. Um, I have lived in Whatcom County for 25 years. I came up here to go to college, and I think like a lot of folks, fell in love with this area, and I never left. Uh, I met my wife at Western, and uh, so now we have two kids. I have uh, Lexi, who is 14, starting her freshman year of high school, and Alyssa, who is 12, starting her first year in middle school. Um, and for me, what I find the most rewarding about being a dad up to this point anyway, really has been all of the various stages that, uh, um, being a dad has afforded me to parent, uh, from being a newborn to, uh, it's not terrible twos for us. It was ridiculous threes, um, uh, to the magic of four, which was incredible. And all of a sudden they could communicate and figure out where to put all that energy and frustration that they might've had when they were three to eight was magical. And now I'm at 12 and 14 and I have all of high school to look forward to. So my name is Mark and I'm the, uh, I'm the old guy of the group. Um, my daughter, and this is going to be really confusing, but my daughter, Allie, her grandmother calls her Lexi, is 24 and lives in Seattle and has begun her career down there. And my son, Ben, is 21. Um, and so uh, I got the, I've got the older kids. Um, we've, uh, we've been here for 23 years now in Whatcom County. And uh, we just love um, everything about it and are so glad that we discovered this place so long ago. I think the best thing about being a dad for me at this stage in life is that the kids, 
are on their own. They're doing great. Um, they're progressing toward their goals. And it's really feels good to know when they don't need my help. They want to figure things out. They want to tackle things on their own. They want to take care of it. They want to be independent and, uh, and, and, and be the young adults that they are. But then every once in a while, it is kind of nice when you get a phone call asking for some advice or wanting to know exactly how something should work or could work. And so uh, it's, it's kind of that uh, a little bit of loving the independence, but also liking it when they do still need you, even when they're in their um, early 20s. Parenting topic time. I'm going to take the lead on discussing family meetings. Now, family meetings weren't something I did as a kid, but my wife has taken classes at Bellingham Technical College through the parent education program. And this is one of the topics that was discussed. And in fact, uh, my wife was recommended a book called Positive Discipline by Dr. Jane Nelson. And so I took a look at that book this week, and she has a whole chapter on family meetings. So I'm going to share some of the information um, and just so you know that Dr. Jane Nelson knows what she's talking about, she's apparently a mother of seven, a grandmother of 22, and a licensed family and child counselor. Before we jump into family meetings, um, Mark, did your kids and you and your wife have family meetings? You know, we uh, we never did. And it's it's funny, Nathan, you talked about when you were a kid. When I was a kid, um, we never had family meetings either. But what we did is that every single night, without fail, we had dinner together at the table in the kitchen with the TV off and no distractions. And that was kind of our time together. And I, I, I guess, you know, as a kid, looking back, that was the time where we discussed stuff. And so we carried that on into our, um, into our family life with our kids. And we made it a point to have a very concentrated, sit-down, focused dinner every night that we could. And I think that um, that maybe took the place of a quote-unquote family meeting. We would just hash things out and talk things out um, over that time over dinner. So no, we never, never really did it. How about you, Chris? Yeah, growing up, uh, we did have family meetings, but what was interesting about our family meetings, it was only when there was really something serious to talk about. So we we hated family meetings. <laughs> Whenever it was, uh, you know, we, I lived in a two-story house. Whenever my dad would yell from the top of the stairs, boys, come upstairs, uh, somebody was in trouble for something, or there was some really tragic news that was going to be shared. And so, Interestingly, uh, Mark, I agree with you. Uh, it, it's it's not by design. It's just how our house has has um, been shaped in how we raise our kids. We do the same thing. We do dinner every night, um, and it provides an opportunity for us to uh, discuss the day, discuss any challenges or issues that the girls might be having. And so dinner for us really is an opportunity for us to have a family meeting. And Amy and I certainly will have conversations beforehand where we'll say, you know what, tonight we should probably bring up whatever issue that it is that we need to discuss with the kids. You know, what was amazing to us as the kids got older is we would have their friends over for dinner and so few of them had that experience growing up where mom and dad and the kids all sat down together 
without devices, without TV, without, you know, anything else going on and just sat down and had a meal together. And that kind of opened our eyes that what we were doing was actually maybe not the norm, which was pretty surprising to us. So we've tried to do family meetings separate from family dinner time. And I think that's a little bit what uh, Dr. Jay Nelson is uh, advocating for. And we haven't been particularly successful thus far. Maybe we've done half a dozen of them and sort of they come up when there is something big to talk about. Well, I, I was just going to say, I, th- I do like the idea of sort of summer, having an opportunity to sort of summarize the week and um, and have an opportunity to sit down. And, and if it does have a, a sort of different uh, meaning to it, an opportunity for the girls maybe to get something off their chest or um, to have a, a discussion about something that, that might be bothering them that otherwise, because our our discussions at dinner are 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 overall pretty, um, pretty casual, right? You know, and they're really just kind of general updates and how they're doing and how their day was. But to be able to sort of bring it all together in one weekly meeting, I think could be really interesting. Anytime you can sit the kids down and have some concentrated time and concentrated focus time, I think that's super, super valuable. And so um, sometimes getting together and doing a meal every night is not possible just with kids, crazy schedules and parents, crazy schedules. So carving out time during the day that is convenient for everyone. Absolutely. Make it work if you can. So some of the topics that she notes could be covered in family meetings include things like meal planning for the week, trying to look at, you know, the taxi or pickup schedule for events. If your kids are old enough to drive, you can talk about sharing the car, who's using it what night. Um, Certainly for younger kids, we're talking about safety a lot at our family meetings. Uh, Certainly behavior issues can be talked about at family meetings, but we don't want to make that the primary thing because then you will dread them like Chris did growing up. And then the last thing is chores. If you have a family chore list or a chore wheel, uh, family meetings might be a time to divvy those up. Well, one thing we did in our house, Nathan, this was probably as the kids got a little bit older and more independent, is that um, my wife would make a giant calendar every month and put it on the refrigerator. And it was everyone's responsibility to write in where they were going, what they were doing, anything that would impact the family. And so while it wasn't a meeting per se, at least it was a communication device. And if it wasn't on the calendar, it didn't happen. Yeah, and it's interesting having younger because we're not at the high school level yet, right? Where the kids have cars and everything, and and um, and you mentioned what Dr. Jane has seven kids. I think you had mentioned that's what her book says. That I mean, that's a that's a lot going on. And I grew up with three brothers, right? So we had four kids in our family, and that was a lot going on. So I can't even imagine uh, the work that they must have uh, had to do to manage seven kids and what they were all doing. So I feel like it's, uh, a little bit simpler having, having two kids, even though they are very active and we have those after school activities and things like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we are going to need to adjust as the kids are more independent and are driving away and, and things like that. And I can guarantee you, Chris, you will have to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. All right. I did a few true-false here. Let's see if you can figure out what Dr. Nelson's thinking. So, true or false, family meetings need to be at least 15 minutes long. I say true. True. 
It's actually false. If you think about it, uh, when the kids are small, their attention span isn't going to be 15 minutes. So she argues that you should start small. Simply the fact of setting the time and getting the kids there when they're young is going to set a precedent. So if this is something you're going to continue on as the kids grow older, it's okay to start when they're small with short time frames. And she actually recommends kids under four, you don't even try it, do the family meeting after they go to bed, just because they might be more of a distraction than uh, get something out of it. True or false? Dr. Nelson recommends that there's a written agenda for a family meeting. It's got to be true. I'm going to go false. It is true. She thinks it's a good idea because you can post it on the fridge. And then if your kid has something during the week or they ask you that question that you really don't want to answer right then, you can say, hmm, that sounds like something to put on the family meeting agenda. (laughs) So it actually can be a parenting tool to put it off and let you think about it. Yeah, if you can put a written agenda on the fridge or somewhere, the kids can add to it and then they feel like they're part of it. That's a good idea. Uh, One more true-false. Parents should run the meeting, not the kids. I'm going to say false. Oh, I'm saying true, but I know it's wrong, but I'm saying true. It is false. Dr. Nelson argues that if you rotate the roles, it gives the kids more ownership of it. It teaches them how to speak. It teaches them how to listen. So, you know, depending on the number of kids you have, you can have someone who runs the meeting. You can have a timekeeper. You can have a recorder who writes down sort of some notes. So uh, she says, rotate the roles. Parents can lead the meeting sometimes, but sometimes let the kids do it. Okay. So obviously uh, Dr. Nelson and I have a very different, uh, uh, parenting philosophies well we'll have to uh, get in touch with her maybe if this podcast takes off she'd join us as a guest you never <laughs> know you and maybe and maybe it could just be she and i going mono a mono <laughs> that's good one more thing she adds is that she likes to start each family meeting with the kids and the parents each sharing some appreciation about somebody. So the few times that we've done it, we've tried to do that with the kids. We've also tried to do something like light a candle or make popcorn that sort of signals to the kids that this is something different. This is our family meeting. So again, thanks to Dr. Nelson, wherever you are for the information. I will put a link to her book in our show notes. What can dads recommend? This is the part of the show where each week the dads are going to go around and recommend something that they like to do with their kids or something their kids like. And so today's topic we chose is places to go biking in Whatcom County. So Mark, why don't you kick us off? Where do you like to go biking with your kids, either now or in the past? So in the past, uh, when the kids were little, we would love to come out to Ferndale and go to Hovander Park. Um, Very flat uh, easy riding for the kids, nice dirt trails. They've expanded it in the last few years. There's even more places to ride. And the best thing is in the summer, uh, they have a, they have animals, they have livestock, um, chickens and cows and ducks and rabbits. And so there's, if the kids get tired of riding, there are the animals to see, and there's also a nice playground as well. So there's a lot to do there. It's a huge park. And if you haven't been there, I highly recommend it. Um, great place for, for kids to spend a, an afternoon. Chris, how about you? Where do you and your girls like to bike? 
Well, when uh, when they were younger, uh, we live right in the Barclay District area, and so the railroad trail is such a fantastic trail. We're so fortunate in the Bellingham area to have so many trails to pick from. Uh, when they were younger, we would ride our bikes down to um, down to the end of the trail, down to Sunnyland Elementary, where we uh, would play on the playground there. Uh, and then as they got older, now we uh, we head up to Wacom Falls Park, uh, which is such a great ride um and if they aren't uh motivated to go on a bike ride i usually do my best to bribe them with donuts at lafine's uh way to fuel up after we uh pedal all the way up there um but the view at the alabama hill bridge is is just wonderful and for me uh i don't you know one of the joys of having kids and to be along Wacom creek there and dip our feet in if we want or just kind of sit and look at the waterfall it's it's a pretty special place to go um, I'm going to go with the ride at Semiamu Spit. Um, again, my kids are younger, so flat is good. So the, the Semiamu Spit has a paved 0.8 mile each way uh, path on the east side of the spit. It runs from the park there on the spit uh, all the way up to the resort and marina area. Uh, there's good parking on both ends. There's bathrooms and picnic tables down at the park. And uh, yeah, that's some of the first bike rides we've taken the kids on when they've gotten their pedal bikes because it's just so flat and so scenic. You know, certainly the birds and looking out at the ocean and looking over to White Rock uh, makes for a good ride. So also, if you're looking for hikes and trails and bikes, biking routes around Bellingham, I'm going to recommend a book we have by Craig Romano. It's called Urban Trails Bellingham. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. I got some good hikes and just a little pocket-sized book that's great. Now a word from a sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Robinson & Cole Attorneys. Robinson & Cole handles all types of injury cases. This includes auto accidents, work accidents and LNI claims, slip and falls, construction site accidents, and wrongful death claims. Robinson & Cole offers a free consultation and case evaluation. If you or someone you know has suffered a personal injury or has been injured on the job, call Robinson & Cole at 360-671-8112. You can also find more information on their website, robinsonandcole.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N-A-N-D-K-O-L-E dot com. Robinson and Cole, Northwest Washington's premier injury law firm. Let's hear from this week's guest. All right. And now we are joined by Rick Lingbloom, retired elementary school teacher who taught for 30 years in the Bellingham School District. Rick, thanks for joining us. Hey, you bet. This is a privilege for me to be uh, part of your guys' podcast. It's pretty awesome what you guys are doing. So tell us a little bit about how you became a teacher, what grades you taught, and what schools you taught at here locally. Yeah. I uh, started a little bit later in life. I uh, got a degree in psychology. I didn't know what to do with it. And um, I was encouraged by numerous friends to go into teaching because I enjoyed kids and had some good friends that were teachers. And so it wasn't until I was almost 35 that I went into teaching and I only taught two grades. I taught first grade for the first half of my career and second grade for the second half of my career. And I was at Sunnyland and at Northern Heights. So when Northern Heights opened, I went over there and spent my rest of my career there. 
So each of the hosts on this podcast has some connection to teachers in their life. Uh, When I was young, my mom was a substitute teacher. So my dad was a uh, junior high school and high school math teacher for 35 years in the Los Angeles Unified School District. Uh, My mom was an elementary school secretary, and my wife has been a teacher in the Bellingham School District. Uh, This is her 18th year teaching elementary school. Great. And before we jump into our questions for you about school and education and elementary school, tell us a little bit about your experience being a dad. What do you find rewarding? What do you find challenging? And uh, as you have grandkids now, how's that changed? I think, you know, I, I think the, it's what everyone tells you about how fast it goes is true. And I am super privileged to be a dad of a couple of kids who still like me. Sherry and I talk a lot about, uh, Sherry being my wife, we talk a lot about the fact that uh, we are honored that our kids live in the area and that they like to come and spend time with us and we spend time with them. And so um, being a dad is an awesome thing. I remember as uh, maybe not, not feeling super comfortable with little tiny babies, but each stage of life, as we got to there, I thought, oh, oh, I like this. Oh, I like this. Oh, I like this. And each stage has its own things to offer and challenges. And I just kind of enjoyed each one. First of all, thanks for teaching for 30 years and teaching our youth. I think being a teacher is, uh, it is such a noble profession. My question to you is really, what are the challenges or benefits that you've experienced in your 30 years of being a male elementary school teacher, when really the vast majority, I would assume, of your peers were female? Yeah, I'm guessing my um, job is is very unique in that situation compared to most guys. Most guys experienced isn't working with just women or mostly women. Um, but I, I felt pretty comfortable with that. And I felt like uh, it wasn't a men and women thing. It was just us all working with kids. And so I guess the comfortable part of that was I did feel included as a staff person, not as a guy, but just as a staff person. What about from the the kid's standpoint, um, to have a male teacher as a kid? I mean, I I think especially young boys, having a male role model in the classroom is something so different than what they're used to seeing. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think it's interesting having my wife being a primary teacher as well. Um, We've both taught second and first grade over the years together. And um, a little simple thing would be just at Valentine's Day when I always write the little Valentine and I write from Mr. Lingbloom and she writes, love Mrs. Lingbloom. And I think there's just that little awkwardness of being a guy um, being with little kids. Um, I wanted to treat the little kids in my classroom the same as I would treat my kids at home or that I would want my kids to be treated at school. And so I always felt like I wanted to be someone that um, my kids, if they were sad, I could encourage them. I could console them. If they weren't doing the best, I could encourage them to try better. If they uh, wanted to be silly and laugh, I could do that at the appropriate times. And just to provide a consistent learning environment, doesn't matter if it's a male or female. So, Rick, um, as you heard me say, my dad was a high school teacher for me growing up my entire life. And one of the best things as a kid is that dad was home when I was home. I mean, when I got out of school, I would come home and then dad would come home shortly after and summer vacations and holidays. So 
how do you think that type of schedule made you a better dad to your kids actually being able to be home when they were home? Oh my gosh. I, I am so amazingly blessed. Um, we have talked about that so much in my family. Um, the day I started, I was a little bit older and the day I started teaching first grade was the day Tommy, our oldest started first grade at Silver Beach. And so for all of those 30 years, um, our families had the same schedule and that's amazingly unique because of my wife being a teacher as well. So the fact that we all were in the Bellingham school district, we all had weekends, holidays, the basic same schedule together for that whole time. So I'm the only one that has elementary school kids at this point. So I want some practical advice, Rick. What's the best way for me to reach out to my kid's teacher, either if I think there's an issue uh, or if I think my uh, child is falling behind or my child isn't being challenged? As a teacher, what would be your preferred method of communication and what's too much and, and what's not enough? I think that parents are their child's best advocates. And um, it doesn't matter if it's during a, a COVID time or a, any other time, um, don't hesitate to contact your child's teacher. Um, and I think when you have those concerns, the important thing that I feel as a teacher or as a dad, um, when you approach those interactions, do it with the positive mindset that you both have your child's best interests in mind. Um, and I think sometimes it's easy to have a, a, a negative attitude. You're, you're approaching it because you've got, sometimes it's because you've got an issue. Not very often do I, did I get a whole lot of, you know, phone calls and emails just calling to tell me what a great guy I was. Um, and luckily I didn't get a lot of bad ones either, but, uh, but I think just, just as no parent sets out to do a bad job of parenting, no teacher sets out with the goal of being incompetent. So it's important for both parents and teachers to be able to understand each other's perspectives. So teachers will do a much better job um, if they can understand more about your child and you're the one that knows most about them. So for you to be able to share um, about your child from your perspective, that's great. And then teachers can do a better job of sharing the same with you. I think having those open, honest uh, conversations with your child's teacher are going to be super helpful for you to be able to kind of deal with those issues and just be more aware of each other's styles and what your concerns are. I remember we would go to uh, school meetings with the teacher. We'd walk in and they would talk about how great our daughter was. And we'd say, well, wait a second. You know, we're Allie Bagley's parents, right? You have, you talk about the same kid here? <laughs> yeah, I do have, a, I do have a, uh, an experience with that where we went to a... Um, Tommy has heard me say this, so I can just flat out say it. We went to a high school uh, conference, and um, it was Spanish. And as every, you know, as you know, the older kids, they you go to the different classrooms at different times, and and so we walk into this little portable where the Spanish teacher was, and um, we were the first ones in there. And she goes, "Oh," we said, "We're Tommy Lingbloom's parents." And oh, 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 I'm I'm so glad because um, I just wanted to tell you um, sometimes. Tommy has a little bit of a tough time just pushing the envelope with, you know, being appropriate and saying things that are not, don't sound sarcastic. And, you know, he's a great student, but he just kind of pushes that envelope. And of course, Sherry and I are mortified and, um, and we thought, oh, of course we'll the, do it. 
It's because you read through the sugar coating right there. That's what it was. Yeah, we read through it. Yeah, <laughs> we totally did. And and so we're 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 like, okay, we're on it. We're on it. We're on it. And so the meeting gets started, and she says something, and I made some sarcastic remark. I don't even know what it was. And she stopped in front of all these parents. She looked right at me, and she just goes, "Oh, okay, now I get it." And uh, Siri was mortified <laughs> and we just kind of laughed and we've talked about that as a family ever since. So yeah, you know, I think it's just going to be honest with each other. Well, kind of continuing on with a little bit of uh, kind of keeping it light and that teaching of course is a fun job too, right? And kids can be really funny and the experiences that you have can be really funny. Could you tell a story about a time where uh, when you were teaching that has made you laugh every time that you think about it, right? There's got to be some stories that you have where you think about it and it just makes you chuckle. Yeah, I think this is my biggest, biggest, biggest regret. And when I've had student teachers, I've always said, keep a journal and just write everything down. Of course, I didn't do that. But um, so there's so many things that I don't remember. But one that always comes to the forefront is a little boy. Uh, we were, it was the last part of the day, last half hour, 45 minutes of the day. We're in the computer lab and we're all, it's all kind of quiet. Everyone's working independently. And all of a sudden I hear a panicked, Mr. Lingloom, Mr. Lingloom, Mr. Lingloom. And, and I look over and this little guy, he's got his finger stuck. Like, and it looks to me like it's stuck between two tables. And I'm thinking, oh, poor little guy. So I go over there and I rub his back and I go, I'll fix this. And, and I, then I realize that his finger is wedged in a little hole in the metal frame underneath the whole computer table. So um, I'm like, oh, no problem, no problem. We'll just, just relax. And I kind of hold his wrist and we'll just kind of pull that out of there. Well, that doesn't work. And um, this goes on for a while. And finally, I ask someone to go get the custodian. And custodian comes and, you know, oh, yeah, 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 I got this. I got this. We got, we'll get the WD-40 and, you know, does that. And that doesn't work. As time goes on, pretty soon the principal's in there, a little shift change with the custodians. So now they've got two custodians, the principal, myself, the library guy. <laughs> they have to call the kid's parents because obviously he's not going home on the bus because we can't get him unstuck from the computer table. And it comes to the point where they say, um, you know what, you know, we're going to have to call the fire department. And um, for those of you that know me, I was a um, part-time firefighter for 25 years, and it's like, uh, wait a minute, I was the fire department. What If you called me and I got there, what would I do? <laughs> I don't have any clue. But okay, so we call them, and sure enough, they they come with a fire engine and, and the medics and they come in just as cocky as everyone else. Oh yeah, we got the lubricant. We're just going to, we're going to put that on there and it'll just come right off. And um, they do, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen at all. And so we're all kind of, kind of trying to figure this out. And about that time, the firefighter said, I think we need to call the ladder truck. And so they call and they come in. I wish I could show you pictures. Um, and by the time this is over, we've got eight or nine firefighters. We've got the jaws of life on the floor in the computer lab. <laughs> this goes on for like an hour and a half. And finally, through a long series of events, they were able to cut this little metal thing, drill a hole, do some cutting, and get this little kid out. Um, Rick, it seems yeah. the role of dads has shifted over the years, um, and fathers are much more active in participating in the daily lives of their children. Did you see that in the, in the way dads interacted with you as part of their kids' education? I, I have seen more involvement, um, and I think most dads take on that role of being uh, wanting to be involved with their kids' lives. And I think what I have seen over my my tenure as a teacher is that um, 
I think there's a lot more diversity in terms of families. So there's more um, maybe moms working and dads staying at home. There might be more uh, situations where there's a divorce. And so the kids are with one parent part of the time and another parent part of the time. And so when they're with dad, um, dad obviously has to take on that role. And so I think what we have seen is more dads coming to school on a regular basis, picking kids up, coming to conferences, being involved with PTA and just in the everyday activities of kids' lives. So, Rick, uh, to follow up a little bit, what's a piece of advice that you'd like to offer to the parents out there who are listening? Yeah, I have. Can I give you two? I have two. Um, I, I'm reminded of... Um, the movie Shrek, which is a while back, but some of you may have seen that. And there's a scene in there where Shrek and Fiona, Shrek the ogre and Fiona are making a journey and they've got um, the donkey in the back of the cart. And the, at one point the donkey says, are we there yet? Shrek says, no. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No. Um, and this goes on. And, and, and if you look at it, it's like eight times this exchange goes goes on and, and you've all heard that before um and i guess my the the thing that i want you to know or that's comforting for me to know is that your child's on a journey and they're not there yet and so they won't be there there whatever there is they won't be there at the end of the kindergarten at the end of kindergarten second grade uh eighth grade twelfth grade but that their journey in education is as much about um their education is as much about their journey as it is about the destination. And each child in each one of us is, should be moving on toward a new destination all the time. And so it doesn't matter if your destination is third grade or middle school or high school or college or career or a family or planning a vacation, or even in my case, retirement, that's not the end of the journey. I, I hope it's not the end of the journey. Um, all kids and hopefully adults are on different parts of their journey. So um, for you as, as dads or moms listening to this, I, I encourage you to, to just enjoy where your child is on that journey right now and encourage them to just be looking forward to that next destination and know that it's going to be an ongoing process. So that's one thing. I do also want to say one more. Um, uh, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, 25 or so, Steve Morse, who some of you may know, he, is an, he came to Bellingham as a principal at Silver Beach Elementary, and um, he taught a parenting class at my church. And his question on the first day of the class was, what is your job as a parent? And... Of course, most of us were parents, and just if we asked you, you'd all have wonderful, amazing answers of, well, your job is this or that. And everything we answered, he said no. And finally, he just said, no, you have one job as a parent, and your job as a parent is to create independent adults. And if your child is a little infant, you need to do everything for that child. But as they get older, you're going to have them do more and more. It may be hold their own spoon. It may be start dressing themselves. It may be whatever. And as we go up that, um, uh, the ages and the abilities of your child, you doing all the things for them is a disservice. You want them to be able to be independent. So when I think about that as a teacher or as a dad, 
what are the things that I need to do? If my kid can tie his shoes, he needs to tie his shoes. Um, so that means, so, so some of you, um, you don't need to walk your child down the hall and into their second grade classroom and help them get their coat off and hang it on the back of their chair and unload their backpack because they can do that themselves and they need to be the be responsible. So uh, I just encourage you to out of the ways that you can help your child become more independent, whether they're at age one or at age 21. Well, Rick, this has been really great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and to our listeners. I want to wish you well in your retirement. Okay. It's, this has been really fun. Hey, and I guess, I think I just, before I go away, I'm one, I'm one guy, and I feel really honored that you've asked me, but I'm one guy out of hundreds of thousands of teachers. And so what you hear from me may or may not be reflective of uh, every other teacher out there. So anyway, thanks for letting me share some of my ideas and my thoughts with you guys. Dad, can we order Indian food sometime soon? Sure. Where should we order from? Non and Brew. What dishes do you like from Non and Brew? I like the non bread and butter chicken. And why do you like them? Because it's yummy. Non and Brew is an Indian family restaurant that's been located in downtown Bellingham since 2015. They are located at the corner of Railroad and Maple and have a full takeout and delivery menu available. To place an order, call 360-389-5493 or visit their website at nonandbrew.com. That's N-A-A-N-A-N-D-B-R-E-W dot com. Special thanks to our wives. The three of us have been incredibly lucky to marry such amazing women. They have been incredible partners in this parenting journey and have taught us much of what we know. Thanks to our sponsors, Robinson & Cole Attorneys and Non & Brew Restaurant. We have links to both of their websites in our show notes. And a big thank you to Rick Lingbloom. We'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to email the show at whatcomdadspodcast at gmail.com. Ghost who? Ghost, why does a ghost have a band-aid? Why does a ghost have a band-aid? Good boo-boo. How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? You rock it. What time do you go to the dentist? What time? Two-thirty. Anytime now you can introduce yourself. Chrissy, you're first on the list. Can't you Am see? I first on the list? Okay. You are. Oh, well, perfect. Uh, my name's Chris Rose, or I'm sorry. I'm Chris Roselli. I lived in Whatcom County. Do you want me to say all of that or just my name? Just your name. Sorry. <laughs> Why don't I start at the beginning here? Perfect. Oh, I'm Chris. Rose. Sorry. Can we, we'll start That's over. Fine. I'm sorry, Dwyer. That's fine. In three, two, one. You're Chris Roselli. I'm Chris Roselli. <laughs>